Hi everyone, welcome to Baby Steps to Brighter Days, a podcast dedicated to informing listeners about current events surrounding postpartum depression and recommending ways to be an advocate for maternal health in both your community and country as a whole. As a reminder, I'm Angelina. I'm Carson. And I'm Hannah. Today we wanted to discuss an overview of postpartum depression and relevant discourse surrounding it. Let's get this podcast rolling and jump right into the good stuff. To fully gain the most takeaways from our podcast, we should discuss the basics of what PPD is and how and when it can develop in as soon-to-be mother's life. Carson, do you mind starting off by telling our listeners a little bit about the background of PPD? Of course. According to the CDC, postpartum depression is a condition in which individuals experience symptoms of depression after giving birth. Typically, most women develop PPD after childbirth or one to three weeks postpartum. In fact, I found it interesting to see that Hippocrates was representing a puerperal fever in 430 BC. So women have been experiencing symptoms of PPD forever? Yeah, so the real question is, why is it hardly ever talked about? The best answer is that as the stigma surrounding maternal mental health, postpartum depression is often left untreated as women frequently report feeling ashamed of seeking help and holding concerns about being branded a bad mother if they acknowledge that they are battling depression. What are some ways to destigmatize mental health? Effective anti-stigma strategies about including education, challenging the myth of mental illness with factual information, protests, making moral appeals to stop stigmatization and contact, creating equal interactions between public and individuals with a mental illness. If diagnosed with PPD, there are so many ways to feel supported throughout this time. I feel that now more than ever, there have been more programs created to assist women going through PPD and resources to offer them. We pulled a story from the Office of Women's Health website, a page full of women sharing their postpartum journeys who have experienced hardships but bounced back by the help of resources they found. Adriana, a mother who experiences PPD later in her postpartum journey, told her story of the struggles of getting through the simplest of tasks and the feeling of becoming unmotivated. She then goes on to explain that what truly helped her get through to the next day was her peer support group of women. She explained that being around a group of women walking along the same challenges had given her a new sense of hope to keep pushing through. Just like Adriana's story, many women now look towards numerous resources to support groups of communities of women who suffer from PPD. Sometimes the first step towards feeling more like yourself is finding women who will support and love you alongside the trials of postpartum. With that being said, we want to inform all of our listeners about the multitude of resources available for any postpartum mothers out there searching for a support group. Many websites related to PPD have support group resources on their page for all women to have access to and to find a group in their area. In addition, groups like Maternal Mental Health Leadership Alliance, as well as other nonprofits, are great resources for anyone of our listeners listening as ways to give to these women in need. Nonprofits like these are so amazing to help spread awareness of PPD and allow other individuals to give in various ways to help these women feel supported in the right way. I also would like to add that while support groups are great remedies for PPD, for many women, a new medication was introduced in 2023. Based on the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the first approved oral medication known as Zerzuve, Z-U-R-Z-U-V-A-E, is indicated to treat postpartum depression in adults. The administration mentioned the only other treatment was known to be the IV injection, 
and they wanted to introduce a medication that can be taken quickly for extreme cases. We will be sure to link the website with all the information regarding the oral medication for any woman interested in the description box. One important thing to note for the increased presence of PPD is the risk factors associated with it. If people understand some of the major risk factors associated with PPD, they can be more aware of their mental state and better prepared to seek and advocate for treatment. So what exactly are the main risk factors for PPD? One risk factor is the previous diagnosis of bipolar disorder and generalized depression. They have been found to, to be the leading cause of PPD. Another risk factor for PPD is socioeconomic status. If people of a lower economic status live in an area that does not have access to a clinic, there is no way to get a woman expressing symptoms to treatment. Also, low socioeconomic status can lead to increased stress levels, which then leads to an increased risk for a mental disorder, thus increasing the risk for PPD. Another point about socioeconomic status is that those with lower income may not be able to afford treatment, even if it is available to them. If these individuals can't afford a health care plan that covers the medical cost of therapists and medications prescribed to help the symptoms of PPD, they may not be able to be treated. Now that we have a more holistic understanding of postpartum depression, we think it is important to know what the process may look like for someone being diagnosed with it. For that, we ask listeners to send in their stories for us to read. Unfortunately, most of the stories sent in are about women having to go through multiple channels before receiving the help they needed. One listener, Meg Howard, shares, My sister helped me get an appointment with a nurse practitioner that she worked with, and this changed everything for me. I was finally seen, heard, and treated after my third attempt to get medical help. While I was grateful to finally receive the help that I so desperately needed, I could not stop thinking about how I could have been one of the mothers that falls through the cracks because there is not enough of a safety net surrounding moms in the year following giving birth. While I called the first two doctor's offices, I only ever spoke to the receptionist. I was not passed along to a trained medical professional who could have asked the right questions. No one asked me if I was suicidal. No one asked me if I had had thoughts of hurting my children. How frightening is that? Thankfully, I did not suffer from those ideations, but so many do. And that is why you hear those horrifying stories on the news. Our medical providers are failing us. One six-week postpartum visit where you are given a basic postpartum depression anxiety quiz is not enough. Even with my history of depression and anxiety, no one educated me about postpartum depression during or after either of my pregnancies. If this happens to one in five women, why aren't we being told that during our prenatal visits and well before we are placed in harm's way? Why does the care shift from the mother to only the baby after we go through the mentally and physically taxing work of bringing life into this world? And this is only one of the many stories we read. We chose to read Meg's because we are struck by the failures she's endured from the health care system and anger she has towards it. While self-advocacy is important, it is just as important to have external advocates. The historical pattern of overlooking women's health is still an ongoing issue that needs to be addressed. Meg mentioned a six-week postpartum visit. Do we know what that looks like? So the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, ACOG for short, recommends a postpartum visit within three weeks of giving birth and another comprehensive visit before 12 weeks postpartum. During this, the healthcare provider will do a basic physical and ask some mental health related questions, but there is nothing else beyond that. Why aren't there more screening practices in place to prevent PPD from developing? As of now, 13 states, not including Georgia, have mandated PPD screening tests for women who undergo prenatal care. The only national literature in place regarding screening is from 2009, when the United States Preventative Service Task Force recommended screening for pregnant individuals. 
That just doesn't seem like enough. You would think there would be something put in place by now since this has become such a growing issue. Exactly. There have been two U.S. trials that found screening prompted more affected women to initiate treatment. More importantly, when studies compare universal screening to usual care, they found screening significantly improves outcome in depressed mothers. Where does that leave us today, then? Screening has historically always been a difficult policy to put into place, so some believe focusing legislation on awareness campaigns and education may be a more worthwhile pursuit. For example, three states have declared a postpartum depression month. Federally speaking, the most expansive policy is found in the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act created in 2010 as part of Obama's legislative platform. Upon closer inspection, Section 2952, the most pertinent to PPD, simply authorizes grants towards research. Despite this, research has been rather stagnant and inconclusive. I read about a study in the Journal of Mental Health and Clinical Psychology that studied college-age students in Georgia and found that while mental health education improves outcomes of different mental disorders, it has also been shown to effectively change people's attitude towards mental health. While the participants of this study may not be directly affected by postpartum depression, it further proves the importance of the societal perspective on mental illness as a whole. What can people do to help now? While we understand that this concludes on a somewhat grim note about policymaking in the United States, the best way people can contribute to progressing maternal health is by opening up conversations regarding maternal health, destigmatizing mental illness, and petitioning for more inclusive healthcare legislation to protect mothers. Okay, guys. Well, thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope you learned something important. I feel like none of us kind of like knew a lot about this until we kind of got into it and we found this topic super interesting. So thank you guys for coming and listening to us. Um, Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.